Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. And how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. And it's also time for an update to the Elon Musk slash Twitter saga. Uh, When last we checked in, I mentioned that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission was investigating Musk for allegedly filing his intent to purchase Twitter at least 10 days too late, which in turn had a potentially massive impact on other investors. But since then, a lot of other stuff has happened. Namely, last Friday, Elon Musk tweeted that the deal to purchase Twitter was on hold, at least temporarily, because Twitter reported that it estimated fewer than 5% of Twitter accounts are bot accounts, i.e. fake accounts that are driven by automated processes. Now, Musk wasn't terribly clear at first about what the actual problem was. Presumably, the problem was that he didn't believe Twitter and felt that the real number is much higher. But here's the thing. He had already put in the offer of buying the company at $44 billion, and repeatedly, 
was boasting about one of the main things he wanted to do was purge Twitter uh, bot accounts and institute a verification system to make certain that every account belongs to an actual human being. So naturally, this led people like me saying, well, if part of your reasoning to purchase Twitter is to get rid of the bots on it, why does this particular estimate upset you? Uh, And that really comes down to money, I guess. My assumption is that Elon Musk's argument is that Twitter is misrepresenting how many accounts on the platform are bots. And they did that when filing with the SEC. And that this in turn has inflated Twitter's stock price. It it amounts to fraud, either intentionally or otherwise. And it also means that Twitter is overvalued. And that Elon Musk's initial offer was based off Twitter's stock price, which has subsequently slipped quite a bit largely due to Musk kind of waffling about the deal. Now, I can see how that can be a legit argument, except you would think that anyone willing to plop down $44 billion to buy a company would already have done, you know, some pretty thorough investigations to determine if the value represented by the stock price actually reflected the real worth of the company, you know, before you make the offer. Anyway, Musk also, uh, in a reply to someone, mentioned that Twitter's supposed methodology for determining how many bots are on the platform is to take a random sample of just 100 accounts and then investigate to see how many of those 100 are bot accounts and then extrapolate that. Um, that, if true, is is I mean to call it to call it too small a sample size is an understatement. Like that's that's nothing. You're talking about a platform that boasts a couple hundred million accounts on it just to take 100 and then try to extrapolate anything from 100 random accounts. That's nothing. So if that is true, that is a laughable approach to making those kinds of estimates. But then Musk said that Twitter accused him of, uh, of breaking a non-disclosure agreement or NDA about all this. And at a tech conference in Florida, Musk said that the real percentage of bot accounts is likely 20% or higher, possibly as high as 90%. Though I think that is ludicrously high and really doubted. I don't think only 10% of the accounts on Twitter are real people. Um, I think some of those real people are real jerks, but they're still people. Musk then said, that this deal will not move forward unless Twitter can prove that less than 5% of the accounts on the platform are, in fact, bots or, or fake or spam or whatever. Musk also said that if he could arrive at a lower deal for Twitter, a purchase might not be out of the question. Now, I should add, there is a ton of speculation online that Musk is also scrambling because maybe the funding he secured to purchase Twitter is no longer sufficient to cover that $44 billion price tag. So some of the funding depends on Musk's shares in Tesla as uh, as collateral, at least according to some reports. But Tesla stock prices have also dropped significantly by around 30% because 
they, you know, they've been dropping ever since this deal to buy Twitter was first announced. And Tesla shareholders have been worrying that they might be saddled with footing the bill for Musk's desire to own Twitter, which has nothing to do with their their interest in Tesla as a company. Well, if that is in fact true, if you know things that he has as collateral has have dipped in value by like 30%, that could mean that he might need to secure some additional funding sources to cover the $44 billion. Now, yes, Elon Musk is a multi-billionaire. In fact, he's the richest person in the world. He has an estimated wealth of around $219 billion. But we have to remember, the vast majority of that wealth isn't liquid. It's wrapped up in stuff like his stock in Tesla or in cryptocurrency. And if Musk were to sell off assets for the sake of liquidity, it would affect the value of those assets, which means he would get less for them than what they are currently worth, which really just nails down how insane wealth is and that most rich people really just leverage their assets to get hold of cash when they need it rather than sell stuff off. Because if you sell off a lot of it, well, it's, it becomes like supply and demand, right? If you're flooding the market with supply because you're offloading your massive shares in something, the demand goes down and the price goes down. So you get less than what you would have gotten if you didn't sell it off. It's, it's like this weird catch-22, right? Anyway, my point is that even though Musk is the wealthiest person in the world, he does not have $44 billion in cash just laying around. So he had to secure additional funding, some of which has depreciated in value since the time of the announcement. So some people assume that Musk is really looking for a way to back out of the deal that will save face, or alternatively, find a way to renegotiate the deal so that he can purchase Twitter at a much lower price. Uh, I think that that's something Twitter's board might resist, and certainly Twitter's shareholders would probably be less interested in it. You know, if they're being told they're going to get bought out at like $54 a share, and then they're told, no, I'm sorry, it's going to be closer to, you know, $40 a share, that's a big step down, right? And I, I'm just using those as hypothetical figures, right? But the point being that shareholders are probably not going to be as thrilled at the thought of getting a smaller payout. So it could put the deal at risk. Now, if Musk does back out of the deal on his terms, it will cost him a cool billion dollars to do it because that was part of the negotiation was that if either party called off the, the deal then it would come at a cost of a billion dollars. Now, could it be that Musk will ultimately spend a billion dollars to not buy Twitter? Meanwhile, Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal uh, dismissed Musk's objection, saying that he would discuss the issue of spam accounts, quote, with the benefit of data, facts, and context, end quote. So the story is not over yet. A security consultant named Sultan Qasim Khan created a hack that exploits the keyless operation mode for certain automobiles, such as Tesla's, which is why I'm mentioning this story right after the Elon Musk story. Now, according to Khan, his method works on other types of vehicles too, but he specifically demonstrated it on Tesla vehicles, uh, that it works on things like the Model S and the Model Y. His hack would allow him to not only unlock 
a vehicle's doors, but also start the electric motor and drive off in the car. So in other words, you could totally steal a Tesla using this technology. Now, to pull it off requires a couple of pieces of hardware. One piece is essentially a Bluetooth sniffer device. So this is something that can detect Bluetooth signals that are being broadcast from a, a, a source. Now, Bluetooth signals have a relatively short range, so that means you would have to get this sniffer device fairly close to your target, within about 15 feet or so. And, you know, whether that, that target is a smartphone that has a specific app that interacts with the Tesla or other vehicle, or it's a keyless fob or whatever it might be. And it then will sniff the signal that's being sent from that device that would normally go to the vehicle. The sniffer device would then relay that signal to a laptop that is presumably close to the target vehicle, because again, Bluetooth doesn't have a very long range. So then Khan could use the laptop that was coming in, you know, that was detecting the signal from the sniffer to broadcast a similar signal to the car and unlock it and turn on the electric motor. So this method is not super easy to pull off. It does require some hardware and some maneuvering in order to get it to, to work. But the point is, it is possible and there's no defense against it. Khan says that he contacted Tesla and other companies and made them aware of this vulnerability. But fixing this particular problem would require a fairly substantial overhaul of the keyless entry system, as well as the hardware it runs on. And furthermore, the risk of someone actually developing and then using this hack is fairly low. So there do not appear to be any plans to address this issue because the likelihood of it becoming a thing out in the wild is fairly limited. Khan also revealed that other cars that use the quick set smart locks are vulnerable to this kind of attack, but that drivers who use their iPhones to access their vehicles have some additional security measures that they can take advantage of. For one, they can enable two-factor authentication, which in general you should pretty much always do for any system that offers it. And also the iPhone compatible locks have a timeout that makes them harder to hack. The Android version locks lack these security factors, though Quickset plans on an upgrade later this year that will likely address that. We have lots more stories to cover, including some more hacking stories, as well as a lot of other stuff. But before we get to any of that, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. 
I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Cal Newport posted in his blog a really interesting piece about a scientific study titled Taking a One-Week Break from Social Media Improves Well-Being, Depression, and Anxiety. Well, the title of the paper pretty much tells you what you need to know. The researchers took 154 volunteers. They randomly divided those volunteers into two groups. One group was the control group. They were given no instructions. They just went about living their normal lives. The experiment group was told to take a week-long break from social media, including popular platforms like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. After a week, the researchers found that the experiment group reported they experienced less anxiety and depression, and they felt an improved sense of well-being. The improvements were significant even when adjusting for variables like age and gender, so it didn't just disappear once you started to factor those variables into it. Newport points out, we should always look at these kinds of scientific studies with some skepticism, largely because methodologies can get a bit fuzzy, especially when we're talking about things like mental health. There are so many variables that impact our mental health that it can be pretty much impossible to narrow in on one or two variables and then eliminate all the rest, right? Still, the study seems to support earlier hypotheses that a dependence on social media tends to bring with it an increased sense of depression and anxiety. Uh, Anecdotally, I have cut way back on my social network presence, having deactivated my Facebook account. I don't go to Instagram. I don't have TikTok anymore. And I only use Twitter for this show. I don't I don't access my personal Twitter feed anymore. Now, I can't say that I have had a massive improvement in my mental health, but I do feel that I'm not getting worse, which wasn't necessarily the case when I was still on everything. 
But again, that's anecdotal evidence, which really, that's not evidence at all. We all know that, right? Anecdotal evidence is not actual evidence. And goodness knows, I would much rather feel like I was a totally new, well-adjusted person. I'm just not there yet. Still, if you do find yourself feeling overwhelmed, it might be worth considering taking a week vacation from social media. It could help. Now, I'm pretty sure I talked about this next story in an earlier episode, but Apple has rolled out changes that allow app developers to alter subscription prices and charge users more money automatically as long as certain conditions are met. Previously, developers were required to send a notification to users alerting them of an upcoming price hike for their services, and the user would then have the option to opt in to paying the higher price, or they could discontinue their subscription. But Apple said that this method had the unintended consequence of leading to interruptions in service because users were missing or ignoring notifications, so they didn't take the action to opt in, and their service would get discontinued once their subscription was over and the price hike had taken effect, and it would cause some friction. So now the policy has changed. Developers still have to send out a message to users, alerting them ahead of time, if they're going to change the price. But the price change gets applied automatically, and there's no opt-in required. So if the user doesn't actively deactivate their account, they get charged more. So if you miss or ignore a message, then you might discover when you're looking at your bank statement that what used to cost X per month now costs X plus something else per month. Apple does have a few other requirements that developers have to meet in order to qualify for this feature. Uh, the developers cannot hike a price more than once per year. Uh, any increase that they give to any subscription cannot exceed $5 or 50% of the current subscription price for monthly subscriptions. And if it's an annual subscription service, the max hike is $50 or 50% of the subscription price. The increase also cannot break any local laws. Now, if developers fail to meet some of those qualifications, they can still increase their subscription prices, but they will have to adhere to the old process of giving you know, users the opportunity to opt in or otherwise their service will be discontinued. Darren Allen of Tech Radar has an article titled Bad News NVIDIA, AMD's new GPUs are in good stock and priced strictly at MSRP. Um, in case you're not familiar with the term MSRP, that stands for Manufacturer's Suggested Retail Price. In other words, it's how much the company what makes the thing tells stores how much they should charge to sell that thing. It's their suggested retail price. Stores aren't obligated to sell things at MSRP, but uh, it is what the manufacturers are suggesting. And obviously, if stores charge way more than that and other stores charge closer to MSRP, that creates competition in the market, yada, yada, yada. Well, when it comes to GPUs or graphics processing units, we've had a long run of graphics cards being incredibly difficult to find and grossly overpriced above MSRP. One really big reason for that was that crypto miners for currencies like Ethereum were scooping up all the available GPUs before they could hit consumer markets and plugging them into mining machines. Or they were buying GPUs at way above market price and then putting them into mining machines 
and this gave a few enterprising folks the chance to buy up cards very quickly and then hike the price up to obscene levels before offering them up on aftermarket platforms like eBay. Uh, then the you you got to take into account the semiconductor chip shortage that we're currently in. And there are all the factors you really need, right? You have limited supply. You have high demand. That fuels crazy high prices. Well, Alan over at Tech Radar has pointed out that AMD has several GPUs that appear to be in stock on sites like Newegg, and more importantly, that these in-stock cards are pretty much priced where they should be. Prices have been coming down a little bit recently, in large part because the value of cryptocurrency has plummeted in recent weeks. Uh, obviously, if it costs more money to run mining operations than you get out of successfully mining cryptocurrency, you stop doing it, right? Because otherwise you're operating at a net loss. You want to make profit. So if it costs you more to do the thing than you get out of the thing, you stop doing it. That also means we don't quite see the same rush to snap up all available GPUs. Now, don't get me wrong. There is still a rush. It's just not quite as vicious as it used to be. And I suspect we'll see GPU availability and pricing improve assuming there's not a huge surge in the crypto market, uh, specifically with Ethereum. Also, we have to remember Ethereum is currently running its proof-of-stake blockchain in parallel with its proof-of-work blockchain. And proof-of-stake is not going to require all that computational effort to verify transactions the way that proof-of-work approaches do. So once Ethereum actually transitions to proof-of-stake, because right now, the actual transactions are still happening on proof-of-work blockchain. But once things merge and Ethereum has transitioned over to proof-of-stake, the demand for all those GPUs will drop again. I mean, other cryptocurrencies will still use proof-of-work, but they typically are valued much lower than Ethereum, which in turn is valued much lower than Bitcoin. So it could mean that, you know, the people who end up seeking out and acquiring those cards end up being, you know, gamers who want to run their PCs so that they can be able to, to run the latest titles at the highest settings. Wouldn't that be nice? Earlier this year, I did an episode about the company Sansui, once famous for producing high-end audio equipment. And that company is now really no more than a brand name, something that's happened to a lot of companies over the years. And we have another company that we can kind of add to that list. And this one is Onkyo, O-N-K-Y-O. Unlike Sansui, Onkyo's target market was more in the mid-range for audio equipment and video equipment. Uh, the company produced AV equipment that was a little more modest than the brands that were targeting, you know, the, the wealthy audiophile crowd. But Onkyo hit on hard times. It got delisted from the stock exchange last year. And now the company, which was originally founded way back in 1946, has gone bankrupt. However, last year, Sharp and the American Premium Audio Company formed a partnership and purchased the Onkyo Home Entertainment Division. So, while Onkyo, the company that created that division, is no more, the assets, the brand, the technology, and all the stuff that the company actually made now belongs to other companies that are actually in a much better position. So essentially, it means we should still expect to see Onkyo products on the market. It's just that the company that 
started it all is no more. I might have to do a full episode about this in the future. In fact, leave me a talkback message on the iHeartRadio app if you agree. If you don't know what that is, on the iHeartRadio app, you will see a little microphone icon on the Tech Stuff page, either on the page itself or on the actual entry for this episode. And if you tap that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds long and let me know what you think. All right, we've got some more stories to get through before we wrap up this episode, but first let's take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the power grid in the United States state of Texas is back in the news again. So last year, during a particularly harsh winter storm, thousands of people in the state of Texas experienced power outages. And it really put a spotlight on that state's unique situation. See, unlike most of the other states in the U.S., which have power grids that interconnect with one another, Texas decided to go in-house with its power grid. 
And you might wonder why. Well, being interconnected means being partly dependent upon and partly accountable to other parties. And gosh dang it, that just ain't a Texan thing to do. More seriously, being part of the interconnected system would bring Texas's power grid within the jurisdiction of federal regulations, and that darn sure ain't a Texan thing to do. The state has always been fiercely independent, even when it meant that citizens were bound to suffer as a consequence. There's also a lot of allegations that the various politicians who have maintained the status quo have done so at considerable personal benefit, meaning there's a lot of alleged greasing of political wheels going on here, if you believe the accusations. But let's talk about the impact on the average person. Back in 2021, around 700 folks lost their lives because they didn't have power during this incredible winter storm. And now the Texas power grid is struggling with electricity demands as the state experiences high temperatures. Not an unusual thing in Texas. Uh, it's pretty hard to live in Texas without air conditioning, or at least without a lot of fans. And it's definitely dangerous to do it. So a lot of folks are running their air conditioning when the weather gets hot. And it's already really hot. Some parts of the state hit 105 degrees Fahrenheit, or 40.6 degrees Celsius, yesterday. But this overtaxes the state's power grid, which is incapable of tapping into the rest of the United States' systems, which would allow it to help shoulder the load. It can't do that because it's an independent little island. And as a result, power stations have had outages recently, and the state has urged citizens to limit their power usage, asking people to set their thermostats to 78 degrees Fahrenheit. And for those of y'all who use the more civilized Celsius, that's about 25.6 degrees Celsius. They also have been asked not to run any big appliances during the peak hours of 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. And that's from ERCOT, the ironically named Electric Reliability Council of Texas. It seems to me like that reliability part of the name should really be revisited. All right, let's get back to hacking and exploiting hardware. Ars Technica reports that hackers have discovered how to install malware on an iPhone that can run even if the phone itself is powered off. And you might think, well, how is that possible? Well, it's because when you turn your iPhone off, it's not really totally powered down. There are certain functions that the phone needs to be able to do even if the phone itself has been turned off for normal operation. So there are certain features that run in a low power mode, and they just sip a, a, as little juice as they can in order to continue to function, even with the phone turned off. And the hackers figured out how to exploit this mode so that malware could run on a device that's even been powered down. The key is Bluetooth. Just like with our, our keyless entry uh, conversation, Bluetooth was a big part of that as well. The Bluetooth chip in an iPhone lacks any digital signature methodology or encryption on its firmware, which gave the hackers, which I keep saying hackers, they were security researchers at the University of Darmstadt in this case, gave them the opportunity to develop malware that could do stuff like track the phone's physical location, even when it's turned off. That's one of the low-power processes that retain support even when a phone is powered down. It's the Find My feature, right? So... If you had turned your phone off and you left it somewhere, you want that Find My feature to work. Well, this is an exploit of that. And considering that state-backed companies like the NSO Group have previously targeted iOS devices to convert those devices into surveillance tools, 
this new development is pretty concerning. I mean, imagine being able to exploit a target device and turn it into at least a partial surveillance tool, even if it had been turned off. Even if the owner thinks they're being savvy by turning their phone off as they travel to some sensitive location, they could potentially be tracked by someone running malware and using a process similar to the Find My iPhone, which is not good. Now, security researchers and hackers in our last story, they're working to improve security, but obviously there are other hackers who have more extreme agendas. Such is the case with Conti, a gang of Russian-speaking hackers who, not long ago, infiltrated computer systems belonging to the government of Costa Rica, and then locked down those computer systems in a ransomware attack. Uh, they recently have demanded a ransom of, uh, of $20 million. Uh, they increased that, in fact, to $20 million, possibly because Costa Rica just installed a new president, Rodrigo Chavez. And then that president held a press conference and hypothesized that the attack involved people inside Costa Rica cooperating with the presumably Russian hacker group. And that's something that the hackers themselves have said is true. They claim that there are insiders in the government who are working with them in order to compromise the systems. The hackers have been implying that their goal is to overthrow the government, but most researchers say that's likely just posturing and that really all they want is cash, cash money. And I do talk a lot about hackers on tech stuff, but one thing I frequently don't have information on is who is actually developing the malware that's being used out there in the real world. Uh, some hacker groups rely on tools that are made by people from outside the group itself. They're deploying tools that were developed somewhere else. Uh, in fact, there are plenty of hackers who do that exclusively. And in hacking communities, they at least they used to be referred to as script kiddies, people who, you know, were taking the programming code that someone else made and just using it, but they don't develop code themselves. They don't even necessarily understand how to code. Well, anyway, the U.S. Department of Justice claims it has identified someone responsible for developing two different malware suites that have been used in ransomware attacks. Uh, that person is a cardiologist living in Venezuela named Moises Luis Zagala Gonzalez. Now, according to the DOJ, Zagala is the developer responsible for malware called Jigsaw and another one called Thanos. Now, apparently one of Zagala's relatives tipped off authorities that this doctor was moonlighting as a sort of cyber warfare arms dealer, supplying hacker groups with tools and providing technical support and getting relatively modest payouts in the process. But uh, Zagala was using this relative to kind of funnel the money through and not go directly back to him. And then the relative got investigated as part of this overall investigation into the hack and tipped the authorities off to Zagala. One of the groups that Zagala was allegedly helping was a state-backed Iranian hacking group that targeted Israeli companies. So Zagala is now charged with two counts of attempted computer intrusions and conspiracy to commit computer intrusions. He has not been arrested. He's charged with this by the United States, but he's living in Venezuela and has not been arrested. Now, should he be arrested and should he be uh, extradited and stand trial for those charges, he could face five years in prison for each of the charges. It seems that Zagala is a self-taught hacker as well. And it's really going to be a heck of a thing for a cardiologist to devote spare time toward learning how to 
code and then creating malware, particularly when you consider that medical facilities are frequently the prime target for ransomware attacks. Uh, Kind of disturbing. Finally, have you ever asked yourself, how many times are companies sharing my personal data with one another? Like, how many times are the various entities out there, uh, like, say, a data broker, making transactions where your personal information is part of the deal? Well, if you live in the EU, the answer is probably around 376 times a day on average. Uh, So that's how many times companies are sharing your personal information with stuff like, you know, advertising companies. But, you know, y'all in the EU can rest easy. Those of us in the good old US of A, it's a whopping 747 times per day on average. This is according to the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, or ICCL. Now, keep in mind, these companies aren't singling you out personally. Your data gets lumped in with the data from millions of other people. And one way this works is that when you visit a web page, your browser exchanges information with that page. The page bundles that information up with all the data from folks who also went to that page at that same time. And this becomes a block of info that then gets auctioned off at a market. And the winning bidder gets the privilege of serving their ad to you. This whole process takes less than a second to happen. That's just the little delay that happens before an ad loads in onto your page. And it's happening all the time. The process is called real-time bidding, or RTB. You can read the full report on the ICCL website. The report is titled, The Biggest Data Breach. And it really pulls back the curtain on the data trading industry. Uh, This is something that more governments around the world are starting to look into and consider regulating. So it's possible that this rampant exchange of people's personal information will eventually get reined in. And that's it for the tech news for May 17th, 2022. As a reminder, if you want to reach out to tech stuff, there are a couple of ways to do it. One way is to use the iHeartRadio app, navigate to the tech stuff page, and use that little microphone icon to leave a talkback voice recording of up to 30 seconds to make suggestions for topics, comment on episodes. Uh, If you go into a specific episode and you leave a talkback there, it'll be tagged with that episode, so I'll know that that's the episode you're referring to. It's a pretty cool feature, and you should check it out. Or if you prefer, you can always reach out to me on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Dare. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, Yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait, did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.